Welcome to The Conversation at Airsafe.com. I'm your host, Dr. Todd Curtis. This is show number 80, interview on WGN Radio after the U.S. Airways ditching. On 15 January 2009, a U.S. Airways A320 encountered a flock of birds shortly after takeoff. Both engines lost power, apparently as a result of experiencing multiple bird strikes, and the crew was able to successfully ditch the aircraft in the Hudson River. All five crew members and 150 passengers survived the accident. What follows is the interview I had the next day with Dean Richards of Chicago's WGN Radio. We discussed the U.S. Airways event, how the public's fear of flying is affected by extensive media coverage of airline accidents, and what kind of measures can be taken to deal with the threat of bird strikes. Man, everybody is just shaking their head at the story about the U.S. Air uh, crash into the Hudson River yesterday. It took place about this time yesterday. And then we sort of went into news mode after that. And thank God of the outcome that nobody was killed. There were relatively minor injuries. Uh, And uh, in New York now, the uh, National Transportation Safety Board is trying to get the entire plane intact out of the Hudson River so they can do some investigating and try to figure out precisely what uh, has happened there. Although uh, all of the best knowledge so far seems to indicate that it was birds that flew into the uh, engine. We wanted to do some follow-up on this today because one of the things that I've heard so many people say this morning is, oh, man, I'm already so nervous flying. I don't, I don't know if I want to get on a plane again after hearing something like this. If a bird can take a plane down, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to get on a plane again. So uh, we go to an aviation safety expert, Dr. Todd Curtis with AirSafe. Dot com. Dr. Curtis, thank you for joining us, and welcome to WGN. Well, thank you for having me, Dean. What, uh, what were your impressions when you heard about the crash yesterday and viewing uh, what's happened and hearing the stories, what we know so far about what may have happened there? Well, the initial reports, which uh, as more information comes in, especially from the pilot, it sounds like a classic uh, bird strike where the only difference was this ended up in the plane uh, having to land off the field. And, and how common is this? Uh, a, a bird strike taking a, a plane down? Well, quite common. Uh, there are tens of thousands of strikes every year on aircraft around the country. And although this one is a very high-profile strike, most of them go unnoticed because, simply put, most of these strikes don't cause any damage. In fact, the military is the area that is most um, is best at tracking these things, and they have been giving us very good data over the decades. Tracking uh, the amount of bird strikes that go on? That's correct. The amount of strikes, the type of damage, and of course, because of the missions that the military does, they're particularly concerned about bird strikes because much of what they do, especially in a wartime situation or in practice for war, is low-level flying. And if you have a problem at low level, there's very little you can do. And that's where it happens. Yesterday, uh, right at the end of the program, we were talking about how uh, just sort of almost a contradiction, it seems, that a, a bird would be able, you know, something as simple as a bird would be able to cause such damage. Can, can you explain why that is to those of us that are not into aviation and don't understand it more? Well, to put it simply, uh, when it comes to a modern jet aircraft, the most vulnerable part of the aircraft are the engines. If you have a problem there which causes pieces to break off, let's say, uh, that leads to a catastrophic failure of the engine or loss of thrust, it can lead to very severe problems. And the modern jet aircraft is actually designed to take out the most critical engine at the most critical point of flight, which is takeoff, and still be able to take the plane off, come around and land again. The one thing you really can't prevent is uh, having severe problems when both engines, or let's say two or three out of four engines, 
go out on you. Uh, back in 1995, I was part of the investigative team for the AWACS crash in Alaska. And in that case, uh, a bunch of uh, Canada geese went into two of the engines, completely destroying one and taking about 70% of the thrust off the second, and the aircraft wasn't able to fly anymore. We were talking yesterday about uh, there being some way to protect an engine against a bird uh, going into the engine and causing this kind of damage. And our best scientific knowledge yet has not been able to come up with anything like this, right? Well, not a perfect protective scheme, certainly. But over the last 10 to 20 years, there have been tremendous improvements in the ability of the modern jet engine to take a strike from a bird. In fact, the engine that was on the plane yesterday, they're rated to take up to a four-pound bird into the engine and still produce thrust. So you can have a fairly significantly sized bird go into an engine and still not have a problem. And when I was at Boeing for a number of years in airplane safety engineering, one of my responsibilities was to track bird events on the worldwide Boeing fleet. And what I saw was there was a progression of damage. And most of them caused no damage. A few of them caused very minimal damage. And most of the engine damage was on the order of one or two fan blades may have been broken. Certainly there was a cost to repair the engine, but the engine in most cases wasn't even shut down. What happened in New York was clearly an unusual case, way out on the fringe of what usually happens. I want to uh, talk a little bit about uh, aviation safety in general. So many people today, I mean, this happens anytime that there's a plane crash, and thankfully there really hasn't been one, at least to my memory, in, in quite a long time. But when these kinds of things happen, we now, these days, we think, uh, is it a terrorist attack? But two, people say, oh boy, I'm just scared to fly on planes, and this just reinforces my fear of all of that. Are people's uh, fears warranted? Well, I take kind of a radical position on that. I'd say the fears are warranted in that fear is a personal thing. It's a subjective thing. And for anyone to say that, oh, your fears aren't real, don't worry about it, that's not realistic. What I like to do is I separate risk from fear. Risk is an engineering sort of thing that can be measured. And clearly, the risk of flying has dropped over the years. We're in a period right now where it's been over two years since any passenger's been killed in a jetliner accident in America. And I looked through the federal records going back to 1935. There had never, ever been a two-year period before this where there were no passenger fatalities. So this is clearly unprecedented. Now, when we have something like what we had yesterday, where the entire world is intimately aware of what happened, and they'll be hearing story after story for weeks, this will, of course, make some people afraid, and that's to be expected. How does uh, the safety of air travel compare with other means of travel? Well, it's gotten to the point where it's almost ridiculous to try and compare it because this is a major form of travel where millions of people are taking it every year, where at least in the United States and Canada for the last two years, no one's been killed. So to do a comparison between any kind of travel, you almost have to reduce it to those kinds of trips where you can either take a plane or take a train or take a car and then compare it. For example, driving from Chicago to New York, it's reasonable to take a car or a train or a plane. You can compare that route. But you couldn't compare Chicago to Hawaii because, frankly, there's only one way to get there. Sure, exactly. Well, I mean, how does it compare? We, you know, you hear people say, you know, in just uh, passing conversation, well, you know, it's much more dangerous to get in your car and, and drive to work than it is to get in a plane and fly to Los Angeles. Well, it's, it's more risky. That is the engineering measure, for sure. But one thing the car has over the automobile, and I certainly feel this as an airline passenger, you have control over the situation. 
even as a passenger, you are very aware of what's going on. You can see what's happening around you, and you can make your judgment moment to moment whether it's risky or not or whether you should stop driving. But in the back of the plane, you know very little. And even myself, with years of experience as a, in aviation safety and as a pilot myself, I uh, get fearful sometimes because I'm not in control of the situation. I'd yeah. rather be in the cockpit than be in the cabin. Sure, and that, that's probably the source of most people's fear, don't you think, the lack of control? A lack of control, even things such as fear of going through security, which, you know, for some people has gotten much worse in the last seven years. The, the process of flying generates a fear, not necessarily the flying on the aircraft part of it, but the whole part of it from dealing with getting your airline reservations to dealing with uh, surly representatives at the ticket counter, any part of that process could make people fearful or to reject the experience and try and do something else. You know what scares me is some of the food that they serve you on those planes. Uh, you and I both. <laughs> Here's Adam in Downers Grove. Hi, you're on WGN. Hi, good afternoon. Um, yeah, just a quick comment um, about uh, the safety and the uh, evacuation procedures. If you look at, uh, like, the British Airways jet that crashed, everybody survived that one, and then the uh, the Air France uh, aircraft that uh, uh, was completely engulfed in flames, and they got everybody out in that one as well. So I think it's just a, you know, it's a better procedures, and people are a little bit more aware of, of things. Well, I'd like to add something there. One of the standard rules, the standard requirements for every new aircraft is that the manufacturer should demonstrate that a fully loaded aircraft can be evacuated in 90 seconds or less using only half of the available exits. So uh, every airplane out there, uh, if it is in a normal situation, let's say standing on its wheels at an airport and there's an emergency and people have to leave, it's been designed so you can get out fairly quickly. Wow. And, uh, I mean... Has that been found to be the case, that in actuality it may have been designed that way, but people actually do get out in 90 seconds? Because I, well, I, fly, I fly pretty often, and I thought of this yesterday, that it, and, and I'm on that New York route quite a bit. Uh, I, I thought about it, had I been on that flight, even though I've heard the announcement a million times of where the life vest is and what to do, if push came to shove, I thought, you know, I wondered in the clinch moment, would I have remembered all of that? Well, we'll certainly find out in the investigation if people on that aircraft did find where the life vests were. But one thing that was unique about the New York event is that within minutes, well under five minutes, you already had boats coming to the scene, fire boats, ferry boats, etc., where you had emergency personnel as well as uh, volunteers who were willing to do whatever it takes to save those passengers. Had this been in the middle of the ocean and they were standing in 40-degree water, and rescue wasn't available for two or three hours, I'm sure the situation would have been radically different. Yeah. Frank is in Lansing. Hi, you're on WGN. Good morning. Good afternoon. How are you guys doing? Well, thank you. I was wondering, you guys were talking about how the flock of birds flew inside the engine and there was no protection there. What about something like a screen that protrudes out look like a, like a bullet or something to protect the engines? Speaking from the uh, engineering side of things, uh, having worked with the industry for birds a number of years on these issues, the no uh, we've certainly there. looked at that kind of... Uh, a protection, a screen in front of the engine, uh, guns at the airport, a whole range of things. And the bottom line is that there are techniques out there will, which will work in some situations, but there's no set of techniques that will work in every situation. For example, the event yesterday happened at altitude, but in fact, about half of all the bird strikes to commercial airliners happen within 50 feet of the ground. So most of the measures that are in place 
are in place in and around the immediate vicinity of the airport. Wouldn't, wouldn't a screen-like device then work no matter what the altitude? Well, uh, without getting into great detail, uh, it, the screen would have to let in air but keep out birds. And frankly, if a bird's coming in at 200 miles an hour, it'll be sliced up like a piece of Velveeta as opposed to blocked in and, and sent away from the engine. So the, the, as a result, rather than thinking about blocking the bird from going into the engine, Efforts over the years have been focused on making the engine more resilient to damage or putting procedures in place so that if one or even more than one engine gets damaged, there are emergency procedures that the pilots can do immediately that will put the airplane in the best position to survive. Yeah, you can get a lot more information at airsafe.com. It's a a great site that's got all kinds of information uh, related to this and airline safety and security, airsafe.com. Dr. Todd Curtis, we appreciate you joining us today. Thank you, sir. Well, thanks for having me. For updates on this investigation and for the latest news from airsafe.com, visit hudson.airsafe.org. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.